On May 7, 1824, in Vienna, Austria, the musical world changed forever. The assembled crowd in the Kantnator Theater heard one of the most groundbreaking and revolutionary musical performances in history. However, there was one person in attendance who didn't hear the performance. The composer, Ludwig von Beethoven. Learn more about Beethoven's Ninth Symphony and how it changed the musical landscape forever on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by ButcherBox. Summer is right around the corner, and that means cookouts. No matter what your preferred food is for a cookout or a barbecue, ButcherBox can help you make it the best. If you want to serve up some hamburgers, ButcherBox has grass-fed ground beef to make the perfect smash burger. Want to cook up some steaks? Well, ButcherBox has that too, with some of the best cuts of steak, such as New York Strip, ribeye, and filet mignon. Do you like grilled chicken? Well, ButcherBox has some of the best pasture-raised chicken that you will find anywhere. And if you really want to wow people at your next cookout, you can try grilling some of their wild-caught salmon on a cedar plank. Sign up at ButcherBox.com daily and get a special deal. ButcherBox is offering my listeners a free-for-a-year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breasts, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at ButcherBox.com daily and use code daily to choose your free-for-a-year offer plus get $20 off your first order. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, Consciousness, Philosophy, UFOs, Ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand and probably won't understand. That's our whole show. (laughs) So join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation today is Beethoven, Anguish and Triumph by Jan Sofford. Jan Sofford's biographies have established him as a revered music historian, capable of bringing his subjects vibrantly to life. His magnificent biography of Ludwig van Beethoven peels away layers of legend to get to the living, breathing human who composed some of the world's most iconic music. Sofford mines sources never used before in English-language biographies to reanimate the revolutionary ferment of Enlightenment-era Bonn, where Beethoven grew up, and imbibed the ideas that would shape all of his future work. Sofford then tracks his subject to Vienna, the capital of European music, where Beethoven built his career in the face of critical incomprehension, crippling ill health, romantic rejection, and his ever-encroaching deafness. You can get a free one-month trial to Audible and two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere or by clicking on the link in the show notes. Even if you don't know anything about classical music, you have probably heard at least parts of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, even if you didn't know it. It's one of the most famous pieces of music in history, and widely considered to be the greatest, if not the greatest, symphony. Orchestras consider it the good china that you bring out for special occasions, 
They'll often play it for the opening and finale of their seasons. It's played during the Olympic ceremonies and on New Year's Eve. It's been used as the national anthem for countries, television commercials, and was played when the Berlin Wall came down. The story of the Ninth Symphony and how this work came to be is one that is highly improbable. When he was 26 years old, Beethoven began to experience hearing loss. In his letters from that time period, he had reports of ringing in his ears. In 1801, at the age of 31, it's estimated that he had already lost 60% of his hearing. At the age of 46, in 1816, he was already completely deaf. It was a particularly cruel affliction for a musician and a composer. By the time the 1820s rolled around, Beethoven was already famous and successful. He had written eight symphonies, one opera, and many other pieces for solo and smaller groups. At this point, he had already composed the vast majority of the musical works he would write in his lifetime. Much of his time during his late 40s and early 50s were spent dealing with family matters, which in many respects was him sticking his nose into the affairs of his brothers and nephew when it wasn't warranted. In 1817, he received a commission to compose a symphony for the Philharmonic Society of London. He basically did nothing with the symphony for five years, or at least he didn't put anything to paper. One thing which Beethoven had always wanted to do was to put his favorite poem to music, An die Freude, which was written by Friedrich Schiller. In English, it's called The Ode to Joy. The Ode to Joy is in German, and it was written to be a hymn to the Brotherhood of Man. Even though he couldn't hear, Beethoven could still hear music in his head. Over his career, he had written many smaller pieces with various themes which never left him. They were all still floating around inside of him. In 1822, he began formally working on the composition. He knew that this was going to be the accumulation of his life's work. This was going to be his masterpiece. In 1824, he was ready for the premiere. While the symphony was commissioned by the Philharmonic Society of London, Beethoven wanted to premiere the symphony in Berlin. He felt that Vienna had become too enamored with Italian composers such as Rossini. However, his friends managed to draft a petition which was signed by other high-profile members of the Viennese music community. This convinced Beethoven to keep the location of the premiere in Vienna. The Carnotaur Theater was chosen as the location for the premiere. It had been 12 years since Beethoven was last on stage, and many people wanted to see what the maestro had in store. The performance required the largest orchestra which Beethoven had ever assembled. They had both the house orchestra for the theater, the Viennese Musical Society, and many other esteemed soloists in the city who all wanted to take part in the performance. However, the thing that set this symphony apart, and the thing which had never been done before, was the addition of a choir. Prior to this performance, a choir had never been used with a symphony. This may not seem like a big deal now, but at the time it was revolutionary. And it's for this reason that the Ninth Symphony is often called the Chorale. Legend holds that the combined orchestra only rehearsed twice before the performance. The quality of the premiere probably wasn't anywhere near as good as modern performances of the Ninth. Beethoven insisted on being on stage, even though it was officially conducted by Michael Umlauf. The problem was, Beethoven's inability to hear made it impossible for him to properly keep time. Umlauf, knowing this was going to be a problem, told the orchestra beforehand to ignore Beethoven and just focus on himself. The house was packed, save for the emperor's imperial box and many of the other boxes of the nobility. They had already left the city for the summer. The concert opened with the Viennese premiere of Beethoven's Missa Solemnis, which had been performed a month earlier in St. Petersburg, as well as his consecration of the house overture. However, the real reason everyone was there was for the main event, Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. During the symphony itself, the crowd was very loud. 
Several times, the police had to quiet people down. However, when it was over, the crowd went nuts. There was a rousing standing ovation. However, Beethoven didn't know it. He couldn't hear them clapping. One of the vocal soloists, Caroline Unger, reportedly had to turn Beethoven around so he could acknowledge the crowd. The crowd gave Beethoven five standing ovations, and for each one they waved handkerchiefs and hats in their hands, knowing that he couldn't hear them. Music critics almost instantly and unanimously felt that this was one of Beethoven's greatest works, if not his greatest. However, there was some dissension regarding the fourth movement, which was the chorale. Many of the critics couldn't get their heads around a choir and an orchestra together. However, such complaints were minor and very short-lived. The symphony went on to premiere in Berlin, London, and the rest of the world. Beethoven died without ever completing another symphony. He was working on his tenth symphony when he died, but he hadn't gotten very far. Over time, the symphony developed a legendary status. Famed conductors such as Richard Wagner, Gustav Mahler, Leonard Bernstein, and Herbert von Karajan all had the Ninth Symphony as one of their favorite pieces to conduct. The symphony's fourth movement, the Ode to Joy, became the national anthems for several countries. It was the national anthem for Rhodesia from 1974 to 1979. When East and West Germany had a unified team at the Olympics from 1956 to 1968, they used the Ode to Joy as their anthem at medal ceremonies. In 1972, the music without lyrics was adopted as the anthem of Europe, and in 1985, it was adopted as the anthem for the European Union. It has become a tradition for many orchestras to play Beethoven's Ninth Symphony on New Year's Eve. The tradition has especially taken hold in Japan, where there are over 50 performances that take place every New Year's Eve. The piece has become known as the Daiku, which is the Japanese word for ninth. The tradition took hold from German prisoners of war during World War I who would perform it. The Japanese National Broadcasting Company, NHK, began performing it in the 1920s and through World War II on the radio. Some of the daiku performances in Japan have lotteries for people to take part in the choir. They actually pay money for a lottery ticket so they can take part in their performance. And some performances have as many as 10,000 people in the choir. Most of the Japanese performances start at 11 p.m. on December 31st, so they will hit the fourth movement right around midnight. These mega-performances are often held in arenas where half of the people in attendance are performing. After Beethoven completed his Ninth Symphony, there developed something among composers known as the Curse of the Ninth. It's a superstition that holds that a Ninth Symphony will be a composer's last. Schubert, Dvorak, Ralph Vaughan Williams, and Mahler all died before they could compose their Tenth Symphony. American composer Philip Glass actually released his 10th symphony before his 9th just to avoid the curse of the 9th. There are, of course, many composers that have written well more than 9 symphonies, but the superstition still exists. There is one final story about the 9th symphony which deserves addressing. The role of Beethoven's 9th symphony in the creation of the compact disc. In the early 1980s, Sony and Philips had both developed digital storage formats which could be read by lasers. However, their formats had some serious differences. They came together to try to hammer out a standard that both companies could agree on. The key point of contention was the size of the disc, mainly if it should be 11.5 centimeters in diameter or 12 centimeters. The defining piece of music which was used to determine the length of a CD was Beethoven's Ninth Symphony. The longest version of the symphony they could find was 74 minutes, so 74 minutes became the standard for the compact disc. Supposedly, it was the wife of Sony CEO Akio Morita who was the strong advocate of getting the entire Ninth Symphony on a single disc. I had heard this story years ago, and I also heard that it was an urban legend. However, in researching the story, 
there's actually more to support it than there is against it. Either way, even though the CD could hold 74 minutes of music, there wasn't a 74-minute version of the Ninth Symphony released until 1997, primarily because the tapes which were used in the studio masters were only 72 minutes long, and because most versions of the Ninth are less than 74 minutes. If you've never sat down and listened to the entire Ninth Symphony, I'd recommend it. It's now readily available on every music streaming service, and there are several versions on YouTube. But, if you ever get a chance to see it performed live, I especially recommend it. It'll be something that you'll never forget. The associate producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is Thor Thompson. If you'd like to support the show, please donate over at Patreon.com. There is content only available to supporters, merchandise, and even opportunities for a show producer credit. If you know someone you think would enjoy the show, please share it with them. Also remember, if you leave a five-star review, I'll read your review on the show.